0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Resurrection Community Church in Virginia Beach. We seek to connect people to God and one another through his word and hope this sermon brings you closer to God. Whether you listened to the sermon or if you were here last week, uh, last week Jesus talked about his, his famous uh, discourse about how he is the good shepherd. Um, and this, this beautiful picture of him, as the shepherd who calls the sheep, we saw how Jesus is both the door to the sheep pen, he's the truth, But he's also the shepherd who calls the sheep by name and and calls them to be in relationship with him, that we we have a relational God who cares for us. So today is really a continuation of that. It's it's kind of a new setting, um, but there's a lot of the same themes. And not surprisingly, what at first sounds like everybody should be happy with, oh, I'm the good shepherd. Isn't that wonderful? I'm going to care for my sheep ends up again with Jesus nearly getting stoned uh, because the people will not respond. And so the question that comes before us this morning is, one question is, why is this so controversial? Why are they so upset with Jesus? Why does what seemed positive seem to end in arguments and attempted stoning? And then what does that mean for us today? So I'm going to read John chapter 10, uh, verses 22 to 42. There we go. Oops. All right. John chapter 10, verses 22 to 42. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. If I am not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first. And there he remained and many came to him. And they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us, that you give us your words that we can rely on. We thank you that this word uh, was spoken by Jesus, was written down and preserved for us. That just as it was your word for the people back then, it may be your word for us today. We pray now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, this word would not merely be information for our heads, but transformation for our lives, changing the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, and now, sometime recently, I, I said something to Suzanne, uh, my wife, who's not here today. She went to surprise her mother uh, with most of our children. If you're wondering why it's a little quieter this morning, uh, four, four Brock children and, and Suzanne are gone, and that makes it. Quieter, um, but uh, but I said something to her about the title of the sermon, and she was like, "Your sermons have titles? Like, do we see the title anywhere?" And the answer is no, not really, not on Sunday morning. But if you look on our Facebook page, or if you look on, uh, or if you look at the recordings of the sermons later on, they all have titles. And so the title of this sermon is the Unbreakable Vow. And so if you saw that. Uh, on the Facebook page this week, you saw the unbreakable vow. You might have thought, "Huh, the unbreakable vow. I wonder. I, I feel like I've heard that before. I feel like I've heard that in a certain in a certain popular uh, a certain popular book series. Perhaps the most popular book series of all time. Uh, and in fact, in in Harry Potter, there is an unbreakable vow that can be made. It's a magical spell. And if you're, I won't I won't go into all the details because it's far too complicated. But if you know the stories, you'll you'll probably remember it but there's there's one point where one of the characters who's kind of questionable on whether he's a good guy or a bad guy to prove his loyalty to the bad side he makes the unbreakable vow and harry the hero sees this and he's telling his friend ron he's like what what happens when you when you break the unbreakable vow and ron's like well will you die that's it it's unbreakable it's an unbreakable vow and and in 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 the story and in our lives too we want this kind of certainty. We want this kind of surety from other people. Are you, are you really on my side? In that case, ironically for today, it was a mother seeking him to help her son. Will you promise for sure? But if you know the story, you know that he, he kind of kept the vow, but not really. He was, he, was, he was really a double-crosser, like four different times, four different ways, because that's how humans are. That's how humans are. We make promises. And we watch our words and we, we parse them out and we say things uh, with all the proper legalistic qualifications so that we can make people think what we want without actually being committed to what they think we're committing to. And so we, cannot, we, we, we have these two problems. One is as people, we're always looking for certainty somewhere. And two, as people, we can never give that certainty. This is our fundamental problem as people. One of our, I say that every week, this is our fundamental problem. This is the fundamental problem that Jesus is addressing here in John. We'll put it that way. That we want a certainty that we cannot get for ourselves. We want to know who will make sure that things work out for us. Who will make the unbreakable vow to us. We also want to know what we can do to make sure that we get what we need. In particular, what do we, we always want to know what can we do to make sure that we're right with God, that we go to heaven. We kind of know there's going to be judgment, right? And we want to go, we want to be on the right side of that judgment. And so fundamentally, what's going on here? I said the question is, why is there such controversy here? Well, the obvious answer to why the Jews are mad at Jesus, and they, they say it straight up, It's in verse 33. They say, look, it's for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. So that's straightforward enough in a sense. That's a big deal, except that Jesus was not any ordinary man, as he goes on to say. But under the surface here too is that Jesus is saying things that are radical. He's speaking to a people who all their lives have thought they had a set of rules to follow to relate to the one God. And now Jesus is coming and saying, All of your rules, they're not working for you. But look, here I am. Because you're not able, you are not able to keep the promises. You can try to make your unbreakable vows. You can try to say, Yes, we hear the law and we'll do it, but you can't do it. You are not going to do it. You are going to fail. You are not going to be able to keep your promises. You're not going to live up to the standards of a holy God. But look, here I am. Here's the promise. Of Jesus, verse twenty-seven: My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Let me go back here. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See the controversy here. The conflict is because it is this is actually hard to hear because we want to control things we want to know what we can do we want to know how to get things all lined up so we can be right in the eyes of god and jesus comes here and says no i'm not going to answer your questions if you're the christ tell us plainly yeah i told you and you don't believe i'm just going to say what i want to say we see that over and over through john They ask him one thing, and he tells them something else. Because at every point, Jesus is saying, the only thing you can do, the only sure guarantee, is to trust me. If our main problem is that we can't keep things sure, and we're looking for guarantees that we can't hold up or can't get from other people, the main thing about God here, the main hope, the good news, is that Jesus is the only one who guarantees eternal life. This is it. This is the promise. And if we can embrace this promise, if we can receive it, it is wonderfully good news. We are not relying on ourselves. We are not relying on other people. We are relying on Jesus, who has the authority to guarantee us eternal life. And the eternal life that he guarantees is not just some far off Heavenly existence that's a little bit vague and uncertain. We actually saw that back in the first half of chapter 10. He said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. When he says he gives eternal life to all who to, to his sheep, he's saying a good life, a life that starts now, full of joy and abundance and lasts forever. It's the eternal life that begins right now. And he's the only one that guarantees it. So, what what is our response then? Well, we have a choice. We can respond as the Jews did back then. And we can respond with anger and say, That's, that can't be the case. You're making it, you're, you're sounding too good. You must just be a man. We're going to stone you for blasphemy. Or we can continue to turn in on ourselves and say, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to grit my teeth and I'm going to bear down and go white and I'm going to make, make my way through. Or we can do as Jesus says, and we can follow his voice and trust him for his security. That's what we need to do. My sheep know my voice. So listen this morning to the voice of Jesus. Hear him promise you eternal life, beginning now and asking forever. How how is that going to happen? What do you need to do? Simply follow his voice. Hear the voice of Jesus. And you say, whoa, okay." Are you sure? Are you sure? But here Jesus actually offers us three things to encourage us that he is the only one who guarantees eternal life. And again, I'm, I'm slipping, just like last week. No alliteration, no rhyming, but they're true. So three, three things that are true that Jesus gives us. One, Jesus calls his sheep. Two, Jesus and the Father are one. And three, Jesus proves his deity. He calls his sheep, he and the Father are one, and he proves his deity. First, Jesus calls his sheep. Again, verse 27, or verse starting at verse 26, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 29: My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. So Jesus is saying here that he is the one who initiates calling his sheep. And while that can be challenging to hear for many of us who want to know what can I do, what do I need to do, how can I figure this out, it's a great comfort to know that the starting point of our relationship with Jesus, the starting point of our faith, the starting point of our Christianity is that Jesus calls his sheep. He is the one who called us. It started with Him. It was His action. And so if you're here this morning and you're hearing the words of Jesus, Jesus is the one acting on you. Jesus is the one calling you, saying, listen to my voice. You are mine. I came to get you. It's the glorious truth of all of the the great theme of John, all throughout is that heaven came down to earth. That Jesus came down. Jesus came down to get his sheep. All whom the Father said, this one and that one and that one, they're all for you, Jesus. Go and get them. And he comes down to earth. This is the, the, the picture of what Jesus' life was about. He came to speak the words of God that the sheep could follow. And then he came, as he said last week, in the first part of chapter 10, he came to lay down his life for his sheep. To make certain that as he sacrificed himself for our sins, that we could not be lost because it was no longer up to us. Because Jesus calls his sheep. So what do we do with that? What does that mean for us day in, day out? It's so easy to affirm this kind of in the abstract. Yeah, I know God God chooses. God chooses people. God saves. It was God's action. God saved me by grace. But it's so easy for us to say that in the abstract, but day in, day out, to live as if we're trying to work, as if we're trying to save ourselves. To think that our salvation, our life, our happiness are dependent on what we do. I had a friend in college who was part of my accountability group of three or four of us guys, met together regularly. It was a great group. Talk, we, it was a group where we tried to honestly work together to strive against sin, to be more holy, to do what was right. It's a, great, uh, it's a great thing to be part of. But I remember one guy said something. We talked about the importance, or we talked regularly there, the importance of having time with God, personal time with God, praying, reading the Bible, as many Christians have done throughout the centuries, often at the beginning of the day. But it's always stuck with me, one saying that I just feel like if I don't have my quiet time in the morning, that something's going to go wrong that day. And it's like, no, that's that's not how it works, friend. It's not like God is up there saying, did you have your quiet time this morning? All right, you had your quiet time. Things are going to go good. You didn't have your quiet time. Ooh, watch out. And we laugh, but we also think that way. Many of us feel that way. Is time with God in the morning good? Of course it is. May it have a positive impact on your day to center your heart towards God? It may. It may actually help you. Is God going to smite you because you didn't spend time with him in the morning? No. No, that's not how it is. That's not how the loving shepherd works. He calls you back to him. He says, come and spend time with me because I want you to. Because that time is good for you. But when we we can look at our lives and see those things that we're thinking Oh, if I don't do this, God's going to get me. Or I'm being punished for this or for that. And it's an indication to us that we may be trusting in ourselves, in our own actions, rather than trusting in Jesus who called us to be his own for our eternal life, for our joy and happiness in this life, and for the security of that in the life to come. So Jesus calls his sheep. Secondly, Jesus tells us here that he and the Father are one. This is... This is the one that really got them. I mean under the surface is that they had they were trying to work everything out, follow the law and all that, but but this was the particular flashpoint that led to them stoning. This was verse 30 right there. I and the Father are one. Now, why does Jesus tell us this though? How does this help us to find the guarantee? It is true that this is an important part of our understanding of who God is. It's an important part of where we understand what we call our doctrine of the Trinity, that God is three persons but one God. Because Jesus here at the same time is clearly speaking of the Father as another person who has interaction with Jesus as a person. And so there's two persons here. And of course, the Holy Spirit is the third person, what we call the Trinity. But he also says that I and the Father are one, that in those three persons, there's a fundamental unity reflecting the belief of God's people throughout all of, of, the, of, of the recorded time in the Bible, that God is one. That's what the Israelites had been told back in Deuteronomy by Moses, and that's what they had confessed daily through the centuries. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And now Jesus says, I and the Father are one, and he's simultaneously saying, we're two persons, and yet we're one God, the one God that you've been worshiping all along. And of course, the people listening are like, oh yo. No, no, that's, that, that, that can't be. It blows their mind, but it blows their mind. They thought they had it figured out. And Jesus says, no, no, no you got to trust me. Something different is here. So what's his point for us in saying that Jesus and the Father are one? The point here is security. Who is the greatest being of all? Well, it's God. In fact, I've been giving giving big words recently. I've got another another word for you. So kids, if you're following along, you want a big word? How about the word ontological? Ontological. Alejandro's smiling. Alejandro knows about ontological. Brandon probably knows about ontological too. So so ontological, and some of you are like, what the heck is ontological? There's a famous argument for the existence of God. It's called The Ontological Argument. It was was put out there by Anselm hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And it's kind of funny, actually. It basically goes like this. I can conceive of a really great being. And the greatest, that anything that can be conceived of that could exist is necessarily greater than something that doesn't exist. Therefore, if I can conceive of God, he must exist. And you hear that and you're like... Did that really happen? Like, is, does that really count as an argument? Like, because I can imagine God, he exists? But Anselm worked it out, and it's actually like, and then you read it, you're like, I actually can't really argue with you on that one. That, And it kind of speaks to something that we know, that there is a great being out there. We know it. We know there has to be something greater than what we see here. We know there has to be something than the trees and the rain and the forces of nature. We know there has to be something greater than all the rulers and leaders of the earth. We just know it. Everybody knows it. C.S. Lewis made a similar argument, basically saying, everybody throughout all of history has pretty much always agreed that there's a God. We know there's a God out there. We know that the definition of being God is that it is the greatest of all things. So what's the point here? Jesus says, look, the Father clearly must be the greatest being of all. And so if the Father guarantees this, it's set, it's done, nobody can change it. And so when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he said it, verse 29, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Of course not, because he's the greatest conceivable being. He's by definition, that's who God is. And so Jesus here in the flesh is saying, look, I have brought the greatest being of all, the almighty, the all-powerful, here to earth and i am saying i got you and nobody can take you away and if that is not comforting that god has got us in his hand and no one can take us away there is no other comfort that we need there is nothing to fear if god is holding on onto us nobody can take us away from god because jesus and the father are one Finally, Jesus says, Jesus proves his deity. He says, look, you may have trouble believing me. You may not know, uh, you may not quite believe what I'm saying about I and the Father. That's fine. But look at the works. Look at what I'm doing. Not just the fact, you know, of course, we see this, believe the works, like, okay, yeah, Jesus did a lot of miracles. But I mean, other other people do magic. Other people do things. Even in the Bible, even biblically, other people call on God and ask him to do things and see things happen. That was one of the characteristics of, of some of the prophets of Elijah and Elisha that they did they prayed to God and things happened. Rain. Elijah prayed and it didn't rain. Elijah prayed again and it did rain. Elijah prayed and fire came down from heaven. So what is Jesus saying that the works prove it? The difference with Jesus' miracles and the reason he could say that they prove that he is God is because he did not do them by praying to God. He did them by his own declaration. The prophets and the other miracle workers would call for God to do something. Jesus just walked in and did it. He said, be healed, and they were healed. He said, get up and walk, and they got up and walked. He said, your sins are forgiven, and they were forgiven. Jesus did the works on his own authority. So that's what he's saying when he's saying to them, believe the works, saying, look look at what I've been doing. I have come down and demonstrated God's work on earth with my own words, my own authority. I say things and they happen. So believe it. What are we believing? We are believing that he is God, that Jesus came down to earth to get his sheep. And when we want security, when we want guarantees, we are not going to find those in our own actions. We're not going to find those in other people. As much as I love our community, and you know that I love this church community, I love that we are a resurrection community, that we care for one another, that we pray for one another, that we serve one another, that we sacrifice for one another. That's how the church is supposed to be. But we'll let you down because we're people. But Jesus will never let you down. That is the security that we need. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this word was written down for us. We thank you most of all that Jesus came down. We thank you that you chose us to be your sheep, to be part of the flock. We pray that you would help us to hear and respond to the voice of Jesus as we follow him as our perfect shepherd. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.